Well, this is kind of exciting. We've got a Zoom guest. We're we using, have a guest. This we're, is fantastic. We're using new technology on Not On Record podcasts. We're, 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 we're well, that just shows how we're a little bit of Luddite. So yeah, it's right. it's old technology, but right. new for us right now on it. And, and it's great. So welcome to Not On Record to, uh, to Bill Corbett, who uh, has a, a sort of a nonprofit that he's running. We're going to talk in, in detail about w what you're doing. It's a very specific cause, and, and, uh, and it connects to fathers who are being alienated from their children and uh, parental alienation. And you've got this amazing website that you're running. And so we're kind of excited to have you here to talk about your perspective and what it is that you're trying to do to assist people who end up finding themselves engaged in the legal system, specifically veterans. And your website is veteranfathers.com. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate the time. I mean, it's really super. I've been watching Joseph and you guys and your podcast for a while. So when I got the invite, I was very honored to be able to be here. So I appreciate the time. Well, it's lovely having you here. And, and as I said, we wanted to do a shout out to that fantastic bow tie you're wearing this evening. So right on. <laughs> Just for you, Joseph. <laughs> Thank so, you. So tell us, what is it that got this project started for you? So um, I went through a bad divorce, um, alienation, false allegations. And you go through phases of healing when you go through that alone. You go through depression. You know, I fought um, um, thoughts of suicide. And as I went through it, as you start to heal, I started to realize I can't be the only one. There, there has to be others out there. And I, I couldn't. So I used to be a federal agent. I was for about eight, eight or 10 years. And I was very familiar with the civil and criminal side of the house. Um, but as I started, as it started getting worse, my attorney said, Bill, this is not civil law. And I, and I went, yep, it says right here, civil law. And she was like, no, this is an offshoot. And I, I couldn't get my head around that, you know, because you spend right. so many. Sorry to interrupt for a second. Just to, I just want to make it clear that you're in the U.S. You're in Georgia, right? Yes. So the legal system you're talking about is not exactly the same as the Canadian system. But I just wanted to make that clear before you go further. Yeah. No, thanks for the clarification. But I started asking questions, um, started going to community groups, um, counseling, um, veteran groups. And I found out that, yeah, mine was bad. But there's some that are horrible. Like uh, we know veterans that are homeless because the judge ruled so significantly against them and took their benefits. They can't afford rent. They're, they're you know, one's actually living beside a dumpster beside a grocery store. From that, the, you know, the ex-wife took him back to court, got full custody because he can't take care of the kids. He has nowhere for him to sleep in his car. And I started getting more and more horror stories. And so me and a couple of veterans I knew, we started doing some research. Um, and we really come up with uh, my hairbrand idea, starting a nonprofit, but we couldn't figure out what to support. There's a lot of veteran nonprofits available. So we did the whole research thing, putting together a lot of demographics. Um, brought in a lot of data from a lot of different points. And during one of our, uh, we were doing Zooms at the time. During one of our meetings, I come up with the hairbrand idea. I said, we need to focus on a select demographic that's most impacted and least represented, but also has the biggest impact. And we have to figure something that makes us unique. So we pretty much figured out it was easy with, with the research coming in. It was better than that. We're the most underrepresented. 
in family court child custody matters. Uh, they couldn't afford retainer fees. They were doing everything pro se, which if you're familiar with that process, the judges really don't like it because you're not familiar with evidentiary procedure, court procedure. You just, that's not your wheelhouse. And they were stumbling around and losing, and it was just horrible hearing these stories, horror stories come in. But then we took a look at both men's rights uh, activists and the father's rights activists. And I said, there's been men's rights activists, father rights activists been out there for over 100 years, but nothing's changed. What are we missing? So I made a flippant idea. I said, no one's litigating. And everybody's passed it off. Well, come about, we finished our research. They're like, yep, you're right. No one's litigating. And we backed that into a lot of the women's rights movements, uh, feminist movements, and we found there's a direct, almost one-to-one correlation. And we have hundreds of cases that we pulled in as examples of litigation that occurred to get the rights of women solidified and codified in law. And I went, okay, the fathers, the men are not litigating. Okay, so we can start. We're going to focus on veteran dads. For several reasons. One, we're veterans, and, and two, they're the most underrepresented, need the most help. And three, it's going to ben- benefit all fathers and, and, and men. There's, and you're familiar with law more so than I am. The law doesn't say, okay, this law is for moms, this law is for dads, this law is for veterans. It's not built that way. It's not designed that way. So we took the approach, it's going to benefit everybody, including the children the most. And you know, when you go through alienation, Uh, you're well-versed in it. The the children are the ones that carry that impact. And it stayed with them for a long time. Would you say say for veterans, um, is is it like specific impact in in that you're deployed and you're away from the home for a long time? Does that play a a larger role compared to other situations? Right. So there's there's two types of military people. There's active duty military that actually do deployments and fulfill the military role. Then there's after your military service, you have veterans. Okay. Um, we actually were working with both uh, active duty military in family law and child custody matters. And we're working, uh, we have a large group of veterans we're working with. So we deal primarily with veterans who have already completed their service, but that doesn't mean we alienate active duty service members, okay? So that's a very good distinction. Okay, I was just curious though, with those who have been deployed, were married, had children come back, and then they are veterans, and let's say the marriage breaks up afterward, they would be at a disproportionately more difficult position because of you know, having been deployed and, and maybe experiencing active duty, et cetera, they're going to be experiencing a number of issues acclimating back to society and then uh, becoming a veteran. So they could be particularly vulnerable if there is a divorce proceeding and a very acrimonious uh, custody battle. So we can see that there's you know, a myriad of other factors and problems that would be unique to veterans. There is. Um, and I see it across the board here from veterans weekly. And when they return from a deployment architecture, they run into an instance of the, the marriage looks like it's not going to be solidified. It's not going to last. And so now they're looking at getting out of the military. And unfortunately, it's very common knowledge when you get out of the military, essentially the government doesn't care about you anymore. They just go, okay, here's your process and paperwork, finish it up, go to personnel, get, all, get everything signed, and you're done. And they pretty much wipe their hands of you. 
And so that's why there's so many veteran groups that have gotten started to help these veterans acclimate to a new job, give them job training, give them exposure. They don't even know how to write resumes. So, you know, there's veteran groups that help with those things. And what you said, Joseph, is very, very true. And where that comes into play, where we're seeing spikes is veteran uh, uh, family law-based suicides. So you have a veteran returning. He's been in a combat situation. He may have PTSD. He may not. His, fam- his family's starting to dissolve through his fingertips. He can't, he can't fix it. He's going to lose his children. You know, he's going to get his benefits and his, his, everything's going to be impacted, you know. And he's sitting there getting out of the military or out of the military. He's out of that wonderful team spirit architecture now he's in the civilian world where it's totally different when i got out of the military i was like oh my god they they operate differently than we did in the military it's it's you know it's a transition it takes a while and from that they suffer depression they get the pressures of family court put on them and they do look at fighting thoughts of suicide and some of them actually do complete it because of those pressures and that's where you know, and, and I've heard from veterans in Canada as well. We hear that all the time of no one understands, no one cares, the laws are against me. I show up guilty and I have to prove my innocence. That's against my constitutional rights. It's a repetitive, ongoing story. It never ends. And I'm like, it, this has got to stop. It, it has to stop. And can I ask a question? So with these battles that go on in court, do you see as, as you know, <laughs> pardon the pun, ammunition, from uh, from one of the applicants in there that they're using vo- domestic violence issues, uh, whether it doesn't go through the criminal process, but used in the family process to alienate and to thwart attempts at custody and access. Yeah, it's it's the popular term put around it is the silver bullet. So they make false accusations that there's violence in the household, and from that they get temporary restraining orders or temporary protection orders to alienate the father further from the children. Now, what's interesting is, and we haven't completed our research on it, but what we have found, um, and we found this input coming in from other countries, Canada, South Africa, uh, England, Ireland, um, and parts of South America, is having children around actually helps veterans with PTSD. It's, 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 a, it's almost like a placebo. It's a calming effect on the veteran because now he knows he has to focus on something besides those memories coming up, those thoughts coming up, reacting adversely to certain situations that in his mind are valid, but he's in a peacetime environment now. So he's, he's, he's not actually learning there's a difference yet. And it is mental scarring. And what we've what we've been hearing is, hey, we deal with PTSD veterans all the time, and when they get around their kids, they're like, like an even plane. So they're a totally different person. Yeah, that's you, interesting. you mentioned, yeah. yeah, you mentioned the phrase the silver bullet. Now, this is something that I've come across <clears throat> quite a, quite a few times in in my advocacy and stuff, and it is a fairly well known phrase. But it is kind of intriguing when you look at veterans who are trained to deal with bullets, and one bullet you can't fight is the silver bullet, and just to describe what that is, that is basically the, the the accusation of some sort of domestic violence, which is automatically believed by the system, and it's yeah. a, it's a guaranteed way for a woman to get power and control in a, in a divorce situation. Just to, right. would you agree? No, that's you're a, exactly is that right. It how you backs use that? into aspects of coercive control. It backs into so in the military we go through a lot of extensive training, uh, especially in in high threat situations. And when the brain gets in a situation that doesn't know how to handle it, it falls back on training. 
uh, you know, one of the one of the veterans who's joined our group and, and is helping substantially is Jim Cisco, and he wrote a, a very well-known best-selling author about his experience in the Gulf. And he even said during one of his interviews, and I've said it repeatedly as well, is as a military veteran, when you're in a high-pressure situation, fall back on your training. There's no training for this. You, you don't you don't know what to do. And I, I didn't know about the silver bullet. I didn't know that was a divorce tactic. I had false allegations levied against me. And and I was aghast. I was like, why would she do that? Why? What is the purpose? There's no, there's no, there's no end, end game in this. Well, it damages permanently. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that right up front and I'm not going to put any bones around it. Um, I have, I were holding a, a, an open house today and there are veterans coming who've had false allegations levied against them, TPOs, TROs against them. They have all the evidence it was false. They can't get a job now. So, and, and here's, here's my biggest. Because of, because of false criminal allegations? Yes. So that doesn't go away big... like we have it here. Once a charge is laid, even if it's withdrawn or, or you're found not guilty on a search, it's not going to go away. So you have the same problem we have. It's permanently damaging. There's veterans here can't even get a job at McDonald's. And one of them called up corporate McDonald's and said, he knows some people. He said, why can't I get a job to flip my burgers? They said, because you're a TPO. We see you as violent. And he goes, well, I'm going to sue you. Send me your HR record. He says, good luck. You're not going to win. Everybody does it. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, when you go through your law school and your last third or fourth year of law school, you go through labor law. You know these things. Judges know these things. But they don't give a damn. They don't give a flying flip. No, it, it, it's it's this. If it if what you're describing is very similar to what we have in Canada, so um, trying to get rid of an entry on your record, even oh. when withdrawn, uh, if it's a domestic related or sexual related, is impossible. Lawsuits have failed in Canada. Uh, Court of Appeal has ruled against several lawsuits, and so some people are essentially a write off for certain ter- types of employment. And, and, and just one question, when, when you're looking at these types of allegations that come up, there's obviously then a stereotype that's specific to veterans because of their service. So is there a, you know, a stereotype about military service and therefore they're more prone to violence? Is that, is that something that's used in the process to try and stigmatize and then use that type of stereotype against a veteran? I would say veterans are stigmatized um, and they are stigmatized against their aggression and their willingness to fight. So if I if, if I'm looking at fathers, by and large, the biggest input I get from veterans is I'm going to fight till the day I die. I'm going to keep fighting this. Well, the courts look at them as a problem child. Oh, this is a dad that went through a bad divorce. And, you know, oh, well, he's a veteran. He's he's going to make the make trouble and he's going to stir the pot. And I'm like, so what? Do you follow the legal process? What's your problem? You know, get over yourself. Why do you think you're above a veteran and you sat the bench in your civilian life in the air-conditioned courthouse your whole life? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. right. Insulting, you know? And that's the way I look at it is like, you know, and I take a hard line and I should. I believe veterans should take a hard line and go, Judge, how dare you sit up there on that air conditioned bench in your HVAC facility that I help protect and keep terrorists from blowing you into ashes? And you look down your nose at me because I'm fighting? I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. That's how I was trained. It's in my DNA. I'm not going to give up because I know I'm right. So that so that is that's a palpable stigma which is applied in in cases that you've seen. There's you're building research on that then? Yeah, we got a bunch of things we're looking at. I mean, that's all one of the burners we're going to bring to the front is 
why is there this stigma around veterans for you train them to be warriors? You train them to go fight. You train them to never give up. But now in civilian life, they're supposed to crawl on their peat blanket in the corner and wet their pants because you told them to, that the battle's over. When they know you violated the law, they know you violated their civil and constitutional rights. They know with willful misconduct, and that perks mirrors up in that room, willful yeah. misconduct, you intentionally violated law. Because here, here, here's the argument court. Well, judge, did you complete your labor law course? Did you pass the bar? Yes, yes, yes. You didn't know this. Like in my case, Judge David Dickinson looked and said, well, you're willfully underemployed. I said, hell no, I was fired. She filed the CPO against me. My company let me go. I had to have a job or I couldn't pay my damn rent. I didn't have a choice to get the job that was available. Not only that, but I had an executive job. Go out and get an executive job now with a falsified TPO on your record. Good luck. Yeah, same same thing as in Canada. David Dickinson, we're going to sue you in abject poverty. I don't care. And I take a hard line and I get really excited about this because that's the law. When you step over the line, you violate someone's rights. I don't care if you got a Teflon robe on or you're the second coming of Christ descending from heaven. You go to jail. That's it. That's the law. Tell, but, tell us what a TPO well, but is. Do you, do you have, yeah, you okay, know. first define a TPO. What's a TPO? Here in the States, we have TPOs and TROs. There's a temporary protection order and a temporary restraining order. They're kind of the same one. Yeah, and they're all based on a threat of violence. Yes. Threat of violence, stalking, it could be anything. They just make the shit up. And, right? and of course, aside from the courts, you don't get <laughs> any support from politicians on this issue. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my God. It's like I walk in and I'm radioactive. Oh, your veteran fathers, they look at the website and they go, oh, you guys set up to litigate? No, 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 um, no, ain't got the time. My schedule's full. It's like if you look on our website, we have two funding campaigns running. The second one is Daddy's House. Okay? So we're looking to set up a home for fathers, fathers, not just veteran fathers, for fathers who are getting away from domestically violent situations with their kids. Okay? Guess how many there are in the States? Yeah, we have uh, wow. we have a similar yeah, yeah. we have a similar problem here where there's <clears throat> there was zero. Yeah, but your population is yeah. you know ten times our population. There's now one, but it's like what you're describing is a is, is like a domino effect where as soon as one the silver bullet is put in action, then there's like a restraining order, and then that domino hits the next domino, and then it just becomes this 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 big um, disaster. Uh, like, so can you tell us a little bit more? Like, we, you know, we share very common. Uh, features in our system as to how you know veterans and other and other parents can be you know really at the whim of the system and 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 wind up being alienated and suffer other consequences but tell us a bit more about what the foundation then is going to try and put in place because one thing you said which is which is great uh is trying to create these shelters or homes for fathers with their children who are trying to escape violence at home so that's that's a very laudable initiative what else are you trying to do because they need all sorts of assistance for litigation, financial assistance, because, you know, they're disadvantaged with employment. So can you elaborate a little bit since you're on this program? I think people would like to really hear about it. Yeah, sure. So if you look at the the top promotion we're running right now is to do just that, Joseph. It's to set up litigation support. So if they come to us and go, hey, look, it's a non-contested divorce. I just need money for an attorney. We'll help them by giving them an interest-free uh, loan that says, here's, here's the money. Go get 
a retainer and get all this done. Or if they need, I think it's 250 bucks last I saw, they can do it online, but they just don't have the money. And also too, we're looking to help them out, go through the family court process. We, in our website, you'll notice a segment of it of, hey, we'll help your attorneys investigate. We're looking to online and train veterans on becoming licensed and certified private investigators. With that, I bring on board a lot of my IT experience, and we're going to bring on what in the IT community we call OSINT, Open Source Intelligence Gathering Efforts. We're building out a brand new server environment that's going to tap into all these feeds, and we'll be able to offer that to, to the attorneys as an evidentiary product if they want to use it. You know, when I went through my, my divorce, uh, I got 35 years as a digital forensic investigator. I did the OSINT. I found multiple affairs. I found, you know, traveled to Texas where I'm like, why is she going to Texas when I'm on an engagement? I mean, this makes no sense. Well, come on. We know why she went to Texas. And the attorney said, you can't use it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't use it? Well, well, the scene is you're stalking her. I'm like, what the hell? I've never been accused of stalking anybody when I present OSINT in a, in a criminal or civil court. Why is it now? Well, it's just the way the court's going to yeah. look at you. Right. as dominating and and a bad boogeyman i did a video on it and after i put that video what's interesting is other recognized experts in the family law community text me on the side or send me dms and said my god i wish i had you as a client i would have loved to put you on that witness stand because here's why all forensics what typically happens is you have the initial baseline image and from that you make working copies that have a, that have a hash value match you share the working copies through discovery with the other party they're allowed to bring in their own forensic expert and look at it and then the two forensic experts meet in court one for the plaintiff one for the respondent and you basically say what did you find this is what i found what did you find you find the same thing yeah but i also found this well okay great that's the way forensics is done in court, not in family court. At least, why not in states? Are you are you attracting are you attracting any lawyers to your foundation? To oh yeah yeah we've got um, we've got a really nice uh, uh, lady out of New York City that found us. Uh, there's you, Joseph. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's what's interesting is even the American Bar Association wrote an article about how toxic family court is. Think about that. A professional foundation in the legal community here in the States even published their own article about that. And I put it on one of my feeds. So the legal community is aware of it. They're, they're aware how toxic and horrible it is against fathers. Well, if they're aware and they're doing nothing about it, to me, that's guess what they just did. One act and further conveyance constitutes what? A conspiracy. Okay, so I look at the family court system like I would as an investigator, as a federal investigator. What am I facing? Guess what it meets the profile for? To the T, a crime cartel. So how do you tear apart a crime cartel? You go after the lower ranked soldiers first. You start tearing apart one at a time. It's like I tell everybody, they go, well, how do you know your litigation model will work? I'm like, it's it's grounded in historical case law. Look at the tobacco laws. So you think one big firm come in, start, file a, a national lawsuit against tobacco? No. It's one, one suit at a time with families. They then came on and said, hey, we got something here. Contacted all the attorneys, brought in all the information, started doing more depositions, more reviews, more discovery, more subpoenas, and they put together a national class action. Same thing with the Oxycontin suits. Okay, it starts at the lower level. As soon as we start putting uh, deputy sheriffs, as soon as we start putting law enforcement officers, as soon as we start putting attorneys in prison, guess what's going to happen? That house of sand, that crime cartel is going to start to collapse because as soon as a judge gets notice of civil suit, guess what he does? He calls the politicians and it's called it's, it's a standard model in physics called the ripple effect. 
Okay, as that ripple gets wider, it brings in more parties. And I bet you, and you know this from civil proceedings, Joseph, this is along your key, key re- this is along your key avenue of expertise. What happens sometimes in civil proceedings, you find actions and conduct of criminal activity through discovery, subpoenas, and depositions and warrants. You can get a civil warrant here in the States. Okay. Now you find actions of, of criminal activity. Guess what? It now expands. It may expand into a politician, a U.S. senator, a U.S. House representative figure. I don't care. They violated the law. They crossed the line by going after veterans and their kids. My dream. I I think it's uh, one of the things you're doing that I think is really important. And, you know, I have a nonprofit that that I run helping falsely accused and wrongfully convicted. And it is difficult to, to get resources brought together. I think one of the important things you're doing is giving people hope and giving them a place where they can describe their experiences and connect with each other. What would you, what would your advice be, you know, the primary thing that you would think, if you could say anything to people who are finding themselves in the situation, what do you think is the most important thing for them to hear? Don't delete yourself. Don't do it. I mean, I was milliseconds away. It's it's a lasting pain, eh, Bill? It, it'll never go away. Yeah. Um, and I can't emphasize enough, don't believe yourself, and here's why. If they're putting that much pressure on you, she already has a number two lined up. She wants you out of the picture, okay? So just don't do it. You owe your kid to, at one time, grow up and look at what an awesome dad they got, what a hero they got in their family. Yeah, I'm sorry it's so tough to talk about it. But thank you for sharing that, Bill. How are you doing on fundraising? Let's talk about something that may bring a smile to your face. <laughs> yeah, so we were approached. We, I have been approached by um, prominent figures in sports, either retired or currently still playing professional sports, prominent figures out of Hollywood, either retired or still acting, either through their agent or directly. And they all said, please don't give up. Please keep going. And this is why I try to explain to everybody, um, those individuals who have access to that large sum of money uh, are watching to see if we're a flash from the pan or not. And whether you can donate $25 or $100 or whatever you can donate, donate, because they're watching. They watch it. It's publicly available. They can watch see how many people commit and donate. And as you donate, what they're going to see is, hey, look, this isn't Bill. This isn't his group of seven or eight volunteers, because we're all volunteers. We're not getting paid for this. Uh, this isn't one or two people donating. This is thousands of people. So you think about it here in the States, we ran this the other day. There are 7 million single dads, 7 million here in the United States. Let's just say half of them donated $1. We more than doubled our request for the initial. The initial. And, and, and if the people watching that are holding on to their money, and you know how it works, it's accountants and attorneys going, hang on, let's see where this goes. They now see that go, our million dollar goal just get smoked because two million dads donated one dollar. One dollar. Well, I think it's important in this in, in this type of work, I think it's important to remember when you have a success, celebrate that success, share that success. You're gonna have failures too. Don't let that depress you and just keep carrying on, I think is very yeah, important. You know, it's it's I'm glad you said that because what's interesting is and the Germans have a word for it, if I'm using it properly, it's called schadenfreude. In other words, people would rather celebrate your failure than your success. You know, they'll remember your failure versus your success. And quite frankly, 
you know, that's why we chose the honey badger as our as our spirit animal for the for the foundation is we just don't give a flip. We really don't. We don't care because I'll be honest with you. The law is on our side. The law is the law is against these courts and these judges and the attorneys. And it's actually against the state because the state's tolerated this and put up with it. You know, I said earlier, one of my dreams is to videotape the judge getting in processed in prison. But also one of my dreams is to see the state of Georgia file for default. So you can't bankrupt the state and the United States federal government and step in. But we're going to get them to lift the, the statute of limitations. We're going to lift it, go back 30, maybe 40 years. And we can do that. There's case law supporting that. And then from that, when we sue the state of Georgia, essentially in abject bankruptcy, the citizenry here is going to revolt. They're going to say, why would you sue the state? I don't want my taxes to go. Well, guess what? You didn't care. You didn't care about me and other veterans. You let this go on. You let those vile, toxic judges sit on the bench. You kept voting. We vote our judges here. You kept voting them back. You didn't care to put you here to the ground and listen to what they're doing in court. So we don't care about you. I, my goal is to take all these fathers that have suffered financially, make them whole, but also get them access to mental health counseling. You, know, you said earlier, what else are we doing? That's it. We got to get them help and their kids to help, you know, because damage goes everywhere. You know, it just isn't isolated. It's a ripple. It goes everywhere with this. Sorry, carrying on. So I, I, we're getting close to having to wrap this up, but I just want to just clarify a couple of things. So you're, uh, so the laws related to uh, divorce and custody and access do they vary state by state? They do somewhat. Um, so as you're aware, family court is more of a state-run process than it falls under the federal guidelines. So, uh, And they've allowed that carve-out to take place for family court and child custody. And there are different state guidelines to follow. But what we're seeing, and our paralegals are helping with this, is basically it's the same. There's not very many state laws that give specific guidance on how these courts should be conducted. It's, uh, they're making it up as they go along. And, and let me just ask one other question, because I know, I know how you, know, you feel and many of us feel about trying to get a, a politician on side. But sometimes, you know, are you fundraising as well to try and get a lobbyist? I mean, you know, getting somebody loud to try and address these issues and get some attention, you know, in your state legislatures and, and other places... That that may be you know it may be interesting just from from getting as much publicity on it as possible. Yeah, we've had a lot of veterans, a lot of um, uh, men that have been in the fathers' rights movement for a long time who've made inroads with politicians and uh, very uh, very prominent people in in industry in corporate America, and they're gradually warming their their ear and opening those doors for us. So to answer your question, you had two of them. One, yes, Joseph, we're looking to make those moves eventually. Uh, but the answer to the other question about lobbyists, lobbyists cost money. Yeah, okay? they're very expensive. Yeah. Very expensive, yeah. baby. Yeah. Well, so. c congratulations for what you're doing and what you've accomplished so far. I think it's, it's wonderful that you've that you're making this effort and that you're connecting with so many people. And, and, and it's really nice that you're sharing your story with people as well. Bill, what, I, what I'd ask, because we're, we're getting close to close now, but um, you know, if you can continue to share with us once something is no longer privileged, when, you know, uh, when you're able to share something you know, by way of success or some more movement, um, we'd like to be able to share that as well and maybe have you come back on and talk more about this. Because really, it, it's a matter of growth for you. You're really starting out and you're starting to develop this. So I, I think you've got a, lot, got a lot to come and hopefully we can share that more in further episodes with you. 
Right. No, I'd be more than happy to. And just like to say something to the legal community. Um, and that is, I made a video about this. You run a business. Your business is generating revenue. But your business is also enforcing the laws according to how they're written in the book and taking care of your clients. So if you're looking for a new avenue, father's rights is untapped. It's an oil well gushing oil from the, from the ground. You can walk with a ladle and scoop it up. So if you look at a play in a market, this is the next coming. You know, and with every nonprofit, and, and ChatGPT is a perfect example of this, started off as a nonprofit, heavily funded. It spun out very profitable companies that are wholly or partially owned subsidiaries under, under the, the nonprofit. And that's the way nonprofits work. Think of it like a business incubator. We have several companies we're looking to spin out as soon as we're funded, as soon as we start winning these lawsuits. I mean, it's, it's a business. Let's generate some revenue. Let's get these states into bankruptcy. Because, you know, and here's something for you. Just, I'm sorry, I'm taking time. No, no, go ahead. The, the law firms we're working with, they want some of these cases going from SCOTUS, the Supreme Court. The right. reason why is they're like, look, they're going to look at the basic context of the law. That was originally written. Then they're going to look how it's applied, and we win. That now puts all 50 states and four U.S. territories in significant jeopardy of bankruptcy. That's immediately what that does. They literally tell me we want we're hoping one of these bill go in front of the Supreme Court because we're going to win. It's hands down. It's a, it's a no brainer. Well, let's close on that and let's w wish you a lot of luck with it, because you got a tough road to, to go down. But we're there and you've got our support and we can't you know, we're very thankful for you coming on and and sharing and talking about this very special foundation of yours. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm really, really honored and privileged you had me on. Like I said, I've been watching you, and i got a ton of respect for you. Bill, thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. Well. we'll keep messaging, and, you know, have a good night. Yes, sir, you too. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so that was uh, that was interesting. And, it was. And, you know, it was great for Bill to come on, but you can see the pain. Right, yeah. Right, a lot of this emanates from pain, and and the uh the devastation that many people go through through the family court process and then what we commonly see criminal charges as well and as he said healing doesn't end it's not you could tell it's an ongoing process for the guy some people it's very hard to recover right? yeah yeah and he also recognized like veterans are just one group that he felt is underrepresented but there's like there's there's so many fathers who are being alienated from their children and caught up in the family court system in a way that's very unfair and okay. more and more groups are starting up and i think it's great to see that happening because it's important for people uh it's frustrating that they can't get the results as quickly as they'd like to, but I think it's very important emotionally for them to, to find other people who've been through the same situation. Right. And, you know, in Canada, I mean, it, it's interesting, though, we don't just deal with fathers. I mean, when we're dealing with the criminal side of something, we've had our fair share over the last couple of years of mothers, women who have been charged for domestic violence, which you would normally, we would just be like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And then it plays out in the family court process. There's one case we just have, which will complete soon with a with a with withdrawal but um it, it depends on how how you can manipulate the system and each side learns how to manipulate it and who can get that evidence first so right. um you know it's great that you know there's organizations like and i that. hope to see more as uh, them you know starting up in the meantime uh you should the like pillow talk yeah <laughs> don't Our forget to like time. comment it's pillow talk with diana it's a new share. podcast <laughs> If you, if you enjoy the podcast and want to see more of them, uh, it's important to support the work we're doing and, uh, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying the variety of, of uh, guests and, and topics that we're More More to come now with. that we've figured out Zoom.
I know. That's exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> yes, we're getting with technology. We really are catching up. Good night, up. everybody. Good Thank night. you so much.